All right. Well, good morning again. It's so great to be together, um, and great to. Um, we're just thankful. You know, it's been over a year since I think church has been back to quote unquote normal, whatever that means. But being able to have one service and be here together, and um, again, just want to say welcome. Grateful to be um, in the room together, and grateful for for all of you. And I would say um, for 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 so many of you, thank you for just enduring um, a year and even this last week. Like we've changed service times and information like four times. So thank you for like realizing, okay, I know the time, so thanks for tracking with us, and um, for those online, thank you for being with us, and thanks for joining together today, and we invite you to interact and comment, let us know you're here, say hello, all of those things, ask questions, give feedback, and we just uh, are, are glad to be able to gather um, in person and online this morning. Uh, last week, I asked a question about pineapple on pizza. It was a little hotly debated. We know that is, so I thought I'd ask another would-you-rather question, and I have a point to it this morning, too, but so here's the would-you-rather, so if you're online, Type in the answer. If you're here in the room, you can just like lean over to someone next to you and tell them your answer. But would you rather be able to fly, but you can only fly 10 miles per hour, or be able to run 100 miles an hour? All right, there's your things. Would you rather? So comments online, let us know uh, which one you'd rather. So you can fly 10 miles an hour, or you can run 100 miles an hour. Which one do you want to do? I'm going to circle back to this in just a moment. All right, so. Um, This morning, we're continuing um, going through the book of Corinthians, imperfect church and perfect Savior. I think that sometimes it's easy to forget that the Bible is really messy in a lot of ways. the, The stories and what it shows us, it shows us messy churches and messy lives. It's full of imperfect people, imperfect people and imperfect churches. So, but all these imperfect people and messy situations in the Bible point us to two things. They point us to the sin and brokenness of humanity, but it also points us to the grace and the beauty of Jesus. We see over and over again, we see this incredible grace of God in Scripture. So we see these two things side by side, brokenness and the grace of God. So we're going to see here in Corinthians, we see over and over again the beauty of Jesus. And that, church, that is our hope. Jesus, the perfect Savior who saves and rescues and redeems imperfect people. This morning we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, a heads up to parents. Um, The topic today does involve the topic of sex. And so you can have those discussions at home and handle that how you want to. If you're watching online, just know that that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, I will handle it with care, so there you go. All right, Uh, so 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You can turn there in your Bible. It'll be on the screen as well. Um, If you have a Bible with you, look it up in the table of contents and join us there. And as you're navigating yourself to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, here's a little bit of the background before we read. There were issues of sexual sin within the Corinthian church. As many people thought that they were free to kind of do whatever they wanted to with their physical bodies, and it didn't really have an impact on their faith. So we're going to read and see how Paul sets a really high standard of sexual purity and calls them to run away from or flee from sexual immorality. All right, we're going to start in verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. Let's read this together. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? 
Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray again this morning. God, we thank you for your word. God, quiet our hearts now. Let us listen to your word. God, we ask that your spirit would search us this morning, would bring conviction of sin, and would lead us right back to you. God, speak to us. Lord, we thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. Lord, let us listen and obey this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so back to the question here. Would you rather fly 10 miles an hour or run 100 miles an hour? Uh, just a really quick show of hands. Who's, who wants to fly, even though slowly? Okay, who wants to be able to run 100 miles an hour? Okay, I'm with you, right? I would totally rather run 100 miles an hour. To me, like, if you're just going to fly somewhere 10 miles an hour, people would be like, what is that guy doing? He's just, like, flying 10 miles an hour, right? It's going to take forever to go anywhere, right? Um, so, I don't know. It depends on, you know, I don't know. I think I'd rather run 100 miles an hour, right? This would be so much more helpful for getting places and getting things quickly, getting there quickly, or getting away from things, right? I guess if you could fly, you could just go up, like, but, you know, either way. Um, so, here's the point. We just read in the scripture, what did Paul say? He said, flee from sexual immorality. It's this idea, run fast, get away from it. This, can, this idea of sexual immorality, this can be a bit of a touchy topic, and it's a very broad topic, right? There's a whole, I'm not going to handle every single aspect of it this morning. But I want to start by saying, let's, let's level the playing field this morning. Let's understand this. Every single person in this room, or if you're watching online, every single one of us, we are all broken in the area of sexuality. Every single one of us is bent towards sin, what God designed in us is twisted by sin and is not what God, because of our sin, it's not what God intended it to be. We're all there. So this morning as you listen, maybe you think about your own life and you say, I have made a mess of this. I've made a lot of mistakes. I have too. I'm right there with you. None of us is immune to this thing, to this issue. Maybe you'd say, I have a past. Or maybe you'd say, uh, no, I have a present. Like, I, there are things in my life right now that are not what they should be. But here's what I want you to hear this morning. Every single one of us needs to hear. The invitation of grace, the invitation of forgiveness this morning. So from the start, hear me say this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is good news. And so in this whole entire sermon, if you feel a sense of weight or guilt or shame or whatever it is, the invitation is to say, just give it to Jesus. And there is freedom, there is grace, there is forgiveness in all of it. I hear my heart this morning, and even more, I think, hear the gracious heart of God that he is inviting you to bring every part of you to him, to lay it all at the feet of Jesus, and to know the joy of forgiveness and cleansing and abundant life. The problem is we naturally desire to do whatever pleases our flesh. 
And we're really good, and the Corinthians were really good at trying to rationalize their sin. And we're good at that too. We can rationalize it. We can justify our sin. We can try to explain it away. We're good at thinking we can get away with sin. So this morning, we want to see what the Bible says about this. So rather than shape our actions and beliefs around what our culture says or what feels good, we want to shape what we believe around what the Bible says. And I will tell you from the beginning, this can be a very, very unpopular idea. It is a very unpopular idea. By God's grace as a church and for me as your pastor, let us remain faithful to what the scripture teaches of how to walk in holiness and purity with what God has called us to do. Because what God calls his people to do is very, very clear from God's, from this scripture this morning. And so my prayer is that as you walk out of here today, you'll go out with a fresh recognition of the need for holiness in our lives need for holiness in our church and with a fresh recognition of how much we need God's help to do this, to live out a holy and pure life. The main idea of this is simple this morning, and this is, these are going to be our two points of application, not complicated. It's this, flee from sexual immorality and glorify God with your body. Flee from sexual immorality and glorify God with your body. All right. We're going to jump into the scripture in just a moment. Before we do that, what is God's design for sex? God has designed sex for the context of marriage to honor him and reflect his goodness and beauty. So the biblical view of sexuality is connected to marriage, specifically one man, one woman becoming one flesh. And as you hear at a wedding, till death do us part. And anything, anything outside of this is a, picture, is a broken picture of God's design for sexuality. Anything outside of that is not what God intended, and it's sin. Sex is given to us both for pleasure and procreation, right? Pleasure and babies. I used this illustration a few months ago um, through, when we were in our basics series, but I'll say it again. Sex is like a fire. Fireplaces are great, right? You can get a nice fire going, have some coffee, read a book, whatever, um, and it's great, and the house is warm, and it's beautiful and all that. It's a good analogy. When it's in the right context... When sex is in the right context, it's a beautiful thing. Now imagine taking fire out of that fireplace, right, and putting little fires all over your house. Now you have a very destructive, dangerous problem, right? Um, and so it's not beautiful anymore. Um, it's going to burn your house down, right? So sex is like that. It's designed for good, yet when it gets taken out of its God-given confines, it is destructive in whatever form that looks like. So Paul's writing here to the Corinthians. Let's, let's think about what, what was it like in their culture. The first century Greek culture was a highly sexualized culture, right? We see here, there, and, and when you read through Corinthians, you see this, there was, there was prostitution that was connected with the worship of false gods. So they had this mixture of religion and prostitution, all these things. Um, there was pleasure was a goal to be achieved. And especially for the men of the day, the attitude was do what you want. And if it feels good, do it. Um, there was, I, I read from, uh, I was not reading an ancient Greek book. I read this in a commentary. So just let me, you know, keep that. I'm, you know, I wish I could just sit and read ancient Greek books, right? But one writer, his name is Demosthenes, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. So so if your name is Demosthenes and I ruined that, I'm sorry. Um, but he said this in, in, a, in a writing in the first century. He said, we keep mistresses for pleasure, concubines for our day-to-day -day bodily needs, but we have wives to produce legitimate children and serve as trustworthy guardians of our home. Now, if you're cringing, you should. That, that's cringeworthy, right? Um, that was the culture that they were writing into. It's not a good thing. Right? That's not what God intended. It's not God's design. But that is the world that Paul was writing into. 
And we might think, man, people are crazy. But let's think about our own world, right? We all know this to be true. This is not, this is not a, a newsflash to us, right? We also live in a highly sexualized world with advertisements and social media and shows and movies and um, music often glorify sexual pleasure and not in the way that God designed it. And the concept of do what you want to do, if it feels good, do it, is very much so present in our culture. And we think about things like pornography and sex trafficking and sexual immorality and sexual violence. They are everywhere in our world and sadly can often be found in the church as well. And so, Remember, Paul's writing to a church, right? He's writing to believers. This matters for us as a church. It's a vital issue for the church that God wants the church, God wants us as Renaissance to be a church that is holy and distinct and set apart, bringing glory to God, proclaiming the good news of God to the world around us. And what happens is, and this is why this is so important, is that sexual sin hijacks the mission of the church. It makes us not distinct. It makes us just like the world around us. This matters for us this morning. All right, let's look at our scripture. In chapter, 1 Corinthians 6, chapter, my words are coming faster than my brain, or my brain is going faster than my words. Let me, okay, in verse 12, here we go. So if you were with us last week, um, our verses today start in a similar way with a couple of sayings that were common to the Corinthians. And so they say, uh, in verses 12 through 14, it says, all things are lawful, so that's one saying, and the other one is, they said, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. What is he talking about there? Let's get to it, right? Um, So here's what was going on. When they said all things are lawful, this was a saying that the Corinthians used often, and it basically meant, I can do what I want. I can make my own choices. But what does Paul say? He says, but not all things are helpful. Last week, we, this phrase, all things are lawful, was about, they, were, they said the same phrase about the topic of eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And if you weren't with us last week or didn't hear that, I'll go listen to the sermon from last week. It'll help you connect the dots with this. Um, you can do that on our website. But last week, it was about this topic of eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And some people said, I can do it if I want to. I'm free to do that. It doesn't bother me. And Paul said, true, but not everything is beneficial. So for that issue, it was an issue of their conscience. And if you remember, we defined conscience as that conscience is that inner part of you that distinguishes between right and wrong. But here's what we're going to see this morning. It's that sexual sin, unlike the issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols, is not an issue of conscience. Like they were kind of applying the saying to the same thing. Like if I feel okay doing it, then I'm okay. Paul says, no, these are different issues. And that's what Paul is going to, um, to go, go into this morning. Because sexual sin, it says it goes against God's design, and it's something that can dominate our lives. We can become slaves to sin. Paul says, I will not be, they say all things are lawful. Paul says, I will not be dominated by anything. This is a warning from Paul. Paul's saying, listen, if you think that you can live for pleasure and do whatever you want, you will become a slave to that sin. It will dominate your life. It will tear your life apart. So that's the first saying, all things are lawful. They had a concept of like, I can do what I want. And Paul says, no, it doesn't work like that here. The second saying was, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Sounds good. I'm hungry. That, you know. but, but what did they mean? And Paul's response was, and God will destroy both one and the other. All right, okay, intense, right? One, one commentary I read said this, this saying describes a person's sexual appetite using a well-known euphemism from the ancient world. 
The logic of the metaphor is that just as the stomach's appetite is meant to be satisfied with food, so the body is meant to be satisfied through sexual activity. So we read it and just kind of see some words, but it had, a, it had connotations. It was a euphemism in the day for like, do whatever feels good to you. If you want it, go get it, right? That was the mindset. The Corinthians believers, they thought they could do whatever they wanted with their bodies, and it was disconnected from their faith. The, the two had separate um, categories or components or, or compartments in their life. So Paul's response, Paul's response when he says, like, God will destroy both one and the other, he's pointing to the temporary nature of food and the body. He's basically saying food and the physical body as it is now are not going to last forever. They're going to pass away. They're going to be done. But the impact of sin does last So the Corinthians, they were using a distorted understanding of freedom in Christ to validate their sin. And that is what Paul is seeking to correct in them. So these thoughts are present in our world today too, often in our lives. If we're honest, deep inside, we can can have these thoughts of, well, I can do what I want. It's my body, it's not hurting anyone, it's not impacting anyone else, um, or even like, oh, I've earned it, I deserve it, I should fulfill my desires, and on and on and on. This is, these are the things that we struggle with. And so I, my encouragement is be honest with yourself this morning and be honest with God. Are you trying to justify sin? Are you attempting to live two lives, a life of faith and a life of sin, a life of I'll do whatever I want here, but I also want to follow God here, but they're disconnected. Because God wants us to see that what we do with our bodies matters to him. And when we live doing whatever we please, we are living as if God doesn't exist. And we can say with our mouths, oh, I believe God is there. But when we live doing whatever we think and ignoring God, we're living as if he is not there. So we continue looking. If we finish verse 13, where, where it says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Think about this. This is kind of a, an incredible passage here. Paul's saying you are not designed for sexual immorality, but you're designed for the Lord. You're created by him, designed by him, even down to your physical body. And here's the amazing thing. It says the Lord is for the body. A lot of times we're not even for our own bodies, right? This is the grace of God, that God is for us. God, the physical and the spiritual, God has designed us as whole beings. Paul's saying you can't disconnect them. God is for the body. This is the kind of God we have, a God who is not distant or just an idea, but a God who cares about us even down to our physical being and designed our physical bodies in a way that he is glorified. Another commentary I read said this. It said, believers should not misuse their bodies for sexual immorality because God cares about their bodies. He cares that their bodies will be resurrected. Rather, they must recognize that their bodies belong to the Lord who will resurrect them. And we see that in verse 14, that it points to our eternal nature. What is verse 14? Paul says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. He's giving us the understanding of why does this matter? He's saying, hey, your your physical body is going to be resurrected It matters. It matters now. It matters in eternity. Life is more than just right now. And so what he's saying is the issue of sin will impact our eternity. It's not something, it's like, I just kind of leave it and it's here, but, you know, one day I'll be with God, but my sin doesn't matter. 
Paul's saying both will be raised, resurrected to new life. Let's move to verses 15 through 17. And Paul, he, he circles back here, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and join them and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And in these verses, Paul is saying, hey guys, don't you know that you belong to Christ? Through salvation, you are joined with Christ. So here's his logic here. Here's what he's saying. If you are joined with Christ, then should you also be joined with a prostitute or should you also be joined with sin? And his answer is a strong one. He says, never, with an exclamation point, right? He says, this does not make sense. You have left your old life. You have been joined with Christ. Why would you live in your sin any longer? And he tells us why here. He says, because sexual intimacy joins you to another person, both physically and emotionally. And Paul quotes Genesis 2.24, where God first set up marriage, showing that marriage and sexual intimacy joins two people together. And the word joined literally means like cemented to or connected Paul wants us to see the absurdity of following Jesus, yet continuing to justify sexual sin, continuing to live in it. Then we look at verse 17. It's amazing. Think about this. Verse 17, I'll read it one more time. It says, But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Think about that. Jesus took our place on the cross to pay for our sin. And when we put our faith in him, we are joined with him, united with him. You and I, broken, sinful people, united and joined with the God of the universe. This is the grace of God. Paul is showing the Corinthians and he's showing us, listen, you have something so much better than what this world offers. You have been joined with Christ. This is God's grace. We move to verse 18 and he gives a very clear command, flee from sexual immorality. Run from it. Get away from it like a lion is chasing you. And Paul is trying to communicate how serious this is. And he continues on in verse 18 and tells us that sexual sin specifically is a sin against our own bodies. We are acting in opposition to how God designed us. And we're forgetting the emotional, spiritual, and physical nature of sexual sin. To be honest, I don't know everything that that verse means and implies. He says every other sin is outside the body, but sexual sin is sin against your own body. But I know that when that happens, there is a, there is a spiritual component. There's, there can be a physical component. There is an emotional component. There's something in us. It doesn't mean that this sin is somehow worse. It means that we feel the impact of it so deeply in our lives because sin is sin. It's all sin separates us from God. But Paul says sexual sin is destructive And then verses 19 and 20 give us the why. Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? That's Paul's way of saying, hey, remember, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. He says, you are not your own. You were bought at a a price, with a price. So why? Why should we flee from sexual immorality? Because for a Christian, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. When you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You read through the Old Testament, the temple was the place of God's presence. If you go read through some of the books like uh, Exodus and uh, 
Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, sometimes you can get stuck like, okay, there's a lot going on here. There was a lot that went into the purity, the holiness, and the set-apartness of the temple because it was where the presence of God dwelled. That's the picture. That's the image. The Old Testament, the temple was the place of God's presence, a place of worship, the place of sacrifice. And so if you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been purified. You've been set apart. So Paul is telling them here, he's saying, remember your salvation. That you were bought with a price, rescued and redeemed through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And his logic is then, how then, how then could you remain in sin? Will you corrupt the temple of God within you? This is a much lesser analogy, but imagine that you got your house completely cleaned. Everything was just like spick and span. You would not then right away go walk in the mud and walk through your house. You'd be like, this is absurd. And this is the image. He's like, this place is cleansed. It's pure. It's set apart. You cannot defile this with sin because it is set apart for the purpose of glorifying God. So Paul gives all this reasoning and he closes with this line. Glorify God in your body. Our major point, flee from sexual immorality and glorify God with your body. So what does all this look like in our lives? Like I said, there are two clear commands from this passage. Flee from sexual immorality and glorify God with your body. Let's look at the first one. Flee from sexual immorality. And this is where I hope this becomes practical in our lives today. This might seem overly simple, where Paul just says, flee, run from it. Flee from sexual immorality. But I think that's what Paul was trying to say. He wasn't saying, no, we're not going to like, there's not nuance in what we're talking about right here. He's saying, just get away from it. Run from it. Don't hang around. Don't, don't loiter. Don't play around with it. Run away. Flee from sexual immorality. So I think there is a simplicity to that that we need to take to heart. Because we can often think like, oh, I can do this, I can go there, I can see that, I can whatever, I'll be okay. But no, Paul says, no, you're setting yourself up for a mess. Run from it, flee from it, get away from it. But let's break this down a bit. What does this look like to flee or to run away? Um, these aren't going to be on the screen, but they're, they're, they're quick, four quick things. The first one is this, repent. It's a nice, big, fancy, churchy word, but here's what it means. Turn from your sin and basically If you're sinning, stop and go this direction, right? That is repent. And it's really turn away from your sin and turn towards God. And I hope that doesn't seem too churchy or too simple, but that is what Paul is calling us to do, to turn away from our sin, to repent. And here's what I think that could look like. Is there something in your your life happening that you know is sin? Is there a relationship that's leading into sin? Then end the sin. Is your phone or your computer opening doors in your life for pornography or lust? Then deal with it. Repent. Turn away. Flee from sexual immorality. It requires us being able to say, I'm going to take action to end this thing that is leading me into ongoing sin. That first thing of how we flee is repent. Turn away from sin and turn towards God. Secondly, admit Admit. We need to admit our need and our weakness. This is, a, this is confession to God, acknowledging not just confessing sin, but confessing how much we need him. 
Acknowledging our propensity, the ease in which we give in to temptation. Basically just going to God and saying, God, if it's up to me, I'm just going to keep messing this up. I need you. Admit that you need his help. And by doing this, you're choosing to depend on the Spirit, not on yourself. Not on saying, okay, I'm just, I'm going to be good. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do my best. No. We don't have the strength to stand. We need the grace of God, the Spirit of God enabling us and empowering us. And he will. He will lead us in those things. Basically, coming, the, admit, the admit is coming to God and saying, okay, here I am. I cannot do this on my own. So admit. The third thing is this, create boundaries. So maybe you need to make some decisions about where you go, who you talk to, who you text, when you use the computer. Maybe you need some software or some filters on your computer. Maybe you need to get rid of your smartphone. I don't know. But this is the application. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. You might need some boundaries in your life that help guide and guard you in this area. Maybe you need some trusted people in your life. Maybe that's the people that you're in discipleship with, or maybe it's someone else here at the church, or maybe, you know, a friend or someone. Maybe you need some trusted people in your life that can listen to you, pray, and help you, and probably you help them, right? It goes both ways. Help each other flee from sexual immorality. Maybe you need those things. So some boundaries are wise and important. I don't know everything, but if you want help, then I'd love to talk with you and help you to create healthy boundaries in your life in these areas. But I'll say this on the backside of this. These are very, very important, wise, and helpful things. But on their own, they're not enough. Why? Because the root issue is our heart. And our hearts are seeking to find life in something that is not meant to give life. You can have all the boundaries in the world and yet still be living in sin and walking in sin. So the boundaries are good and wise. I'm never against those things. But we've got to go down and say, where is my heart? Am I seeking life in something that is not meant to give me life? Am I seeking life in something that is sin? So the fourth thing is this, of how we flee. We look to Jesus. The ultimate way that we flee from sexuality not sexuality, sexual immorality, sorry, is by fixing our eyes on something greater. It's the only way that we flee from it. Understanding that only Jesus satisfies our hearts, only Jesus is worthy of our lives and of our worship. And when we see that Jesus is better than anything that we can run to or anything that we can experience in this world, those things lose their shine. They lose their pull. They lose their allure when we say, no, Jesus is better. Why would I want to live that way? I've been joined with him. I've been united with him. He has rescued me. Why would I want to walk in sin? Look to Jesus. And I'd say this. This is going to be on the screen this morning. Actually, it's not because I forgot to tell Graham to put it on the screen. So you can just listen, right? It's simple. Flee from sexual, excuse me, flee from sexual immorality by fleeing to Jesus. It's the only way. Because we can try, we can do our best, and maybe, maybe you've got some sort of um, ongoing thing in your life that you struggle with, and, 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 and you probably know that you could say, man, okay, I'm good. Man, I feel like I've been really, like three or four months here, I'm like doing really well, and then you don't. We're prone to that. We're prone to fall. We're prone to fail because of our sin. But when we try to do that on our own, we will just continue to do that. 
And so the only way that we walk in victory and freedom is running, fleeing from sexual, sexual immorality and fleeing to Jesus. Second point of application of what Paul says, he says, glorify God with your body. Why? We've already seen because Paul says your body is a temple meant to reflect the glory of God. The temple in the Old Testament was a very, very important place. It's where the presence of God dwelled. It's where the activity of God happened. It's where the people came to worship. And the temple itself, when it was built, God told Solomon, this place is going to be a place where all the nations around you see the glory and the greatness of God. So if we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, we are meant to reflect and show the greatness and the glory of God to the world around us. When we glorify God in our body, the world sees in us that satisfaction is found in Christ and in Christ alone. That's what it means practically, and maybe it doesn't feel practical, but when we are saying, God, here's my life, here's my every part of me, my words, my thoughts, my body, my actions, God, would you be glorified in me? And when we live that way, we are living counterculturally. We are living against what everyone else says, and people can look and see that person has found hope. That person has found satisfaction in something that is greater than all this stuff around us. How does that happen, right? When we, by not engaging in sexual sin, when we don't do that, we glorify God by seeking to live each day in a way that honors him. Yes, in our sexual lives, but as I said, also in our words, in our thoughts. He talks about our bodies, in our health. We are whole beings, remember, in our actions. That the body that God has given you is to be used for his glory. And what's the end result of this. The result is this, that the world would see Jesus in us. This is what it means, that God is glorified through us. As individuals and as a church, we're called to be distinct and set apart. And when we live that way, God is glorified through us. So flee from sexual immorality and glorify God with your body. And I hope that's clear from God's word this morning. These aren't my words. We've got to, wherever you stand on this issue, Whatever your background, who you are in this room or online, you have to wrestle with Scripture of what it says, of whether you're going to say, okay, I submit my life to God's Word or I'm going to do it my way. As I said in the beginning, I know that this is deeply personal and sometimes even a touchy subject, but as we close, I want us to see the beauty of the gospel in the area of our sexual lives. Back up in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 6, I'm going to read verses 9 through 11, and I'll warn you up front, these are intense, right? So just as you listen, you're going to be like, oh, okay, here we go. Here's what it says. I want us to see the gospel and what happens in our lives. Paul says this, he's talking to the Corinthians, he says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, which is a cool word, by the way. Not a cool thing, funny word, right? Nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. What an incredible passage. What beauty, what grace. Think about this. Paul says, listen, he says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he goes on to say, he gives us this list of things. 
And here's the good news. Paul, Paul's saying like, hey, this list doesn't mean like if you've ever done one of these things, then you're out. That's not what he's saying, right? He's saying, listen, if this is your ongoing life, if you are living in sin and you are continually ongoing pursuing this sin, he says, then, then Christ is not in you. There is unrighteousness and the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he lists a whole bunch of things there. But then he comes back to this Corinthian church. Remember their culture. Remember who they were, who they came from. This church had Jewish people and Greek people and people from all over the place and rich and poor and slaves and everything. And Paul writes to them. And can you imagine reading this letter and you get to this part and you're like, well, does that like cut me out of this thing? Am I done? What's Paul say? He says, such were some of you. Past tense is important, right? Grammar is fun, right? Such were some of you. Think about this church thinking, yeah, yeah, that was me. I was living in this way. I was doing this. I was doing these things. I was living in this way. And immediately he says, but, but you were washed and you were sanctified, which means made right with God, cleansed. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. You were washed. You were cleansed. Your story changed. You were broken and unrighteous and separated from God. That's who you were. And that's true of every single one of us in this room. That we were broken, separated from God because of our sin. And such were some of us. Paul says, but through Jesus, because of Jesus, you were washed. You were made right with God. You were cleansed. This is the gospel. This is the work of Jesus on our behalf. Later on in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, verse 21, Paul says this. This will be on the screen. He says, for our sake, he made him. God made Jesus. That's what it's talking about. God made Jesus. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This shows us how Jesus did this, that he, Jesus did not live in sin, yet he took my sin and your sin upon himself so that Paul could write to the Corinthians and say, that's who you were, but you were washed and made holy and made pure by Jesus. So this morning, no matter who you are or what you've done, or what you did yesterday or what you did 10 years ago, no matter, there is freedom to be found in Jesus. There is grace. There is forgiveness. That if you're walking in guilt or shame through Jesus, it's forgiven and made new. We're going to sing here in just a moment one of my favorite songs, and it says, Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. And that applies to this area of sexual sin. It applies to whatever area of life that you struggle with sin in. And it's true. And we don't like to wrestle with it, I don't think. We don't like to think about this thing of like, okay, I'm sinful and I'm broken. But God never highlights our sin to just condemn us and leave us there. When we feel and see the weight of our sin, God is there saying, come to me. I'll give you rest. I will cleanse you. I will make you new. And for any person, the door is open. And it's not by religion. It's not by working harder, not by cleaning up your life or doing better. It's by looking to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I can't do it. I cannot fix myself, but you have done everything that can be done. And to be able to go to God and say, yeah, God, I have a past. I'm broken by sin. 
And God says, come to me. Jesus paid the debt of your sin on the cross and rose again from the grave and we'll celebrate that next week as we celebrate Easter that our sin has been conquered. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you you are a Christian but you need to say, God, I need to flee from some sin. I need to run towards you. I need to confess. I need some boundaries in my life. I need some things that, that help me walk with Jesus. Or maybe you're not a Christian this morning. And you would say, yeah, I have the weight of sin in my life. Come to Jesus. We are saved and rescued out of our sin by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. If you have questions, we'd love to talk with you about that. We'd love to walk through this with you. But church, by God's grace, May we pursue holiness. May we pursue to live lives that are distinct and set apart as we flee from sexual immorality and seek to glorify God with our bodies. Let's pray together.